Well, welcome back to Wednesday night. Um, it's crazy to think that next week we'll be finally back in uh, worshiping together in person. I'm so looking forward to being able to do that uh, with you. Uh, if you have your copy of God's Word, go to Colossians chapter 3. We're going to continue our uh, Church Matters series tonight by considering uh, what does worship look at, look like, look at, look like. Uh, we want to make sure that we understand that the way that we worship matters, the way that we think about worship matters. And so uh, Colossians chapter 3 is where we're going to start tonight. So let's read God's Word together. Colossians chapter 3, we're going to begin in verse 15, read through verse 17. And let the peace of God rule in your hearts, to which also you are called in one body, and be thankful. Let the Word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom teaching and admonishing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with grace in your hearts to the Lord. And whatever you do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through Him. Let's go ahead and pray together tonight. Father, thank you for the opportunity we have to worship you through singing of songs and preaching of your word. And we do pray and ask that as we consider what uh, worship looks like and and why the way we worship matters, that you would help us to be sensitive, uh, to put down our maybe our predisposition to liking certain things or uh, thinking about worship in a way that is not what the Bible says. So I pray that in the moments to come, uh, we would humbly submit ourselves to your word to be corrected by it. It's in your son's name we pray. Amen. You know, B.B. Warfield was a famous uh, theologian from the Princeton era, back when Princeton uh, was training pastors, and he was well known for uh, his teaching on the inspiration and inerrancy of Scripture. And he was quoted one time as saying this, if you were to gather five theologians in a room and ask them their opinion or their theological position on uh, inspiration, you would get six responses. He kind of said that tongue-in-cheek kind of in the heyday of uh, arguing about the doctrine of inspiration. I think if we were to say the same thing about worship, we would get a similar response. If we were to put five people in a room together and ask them for their opinions or their thoughts on worship, we would get about six, maybe seven, probably even eight or nine opinions on what worship looks like. If there's one thing that can get people riled up very quickly in the church society today, in the evangelical world, it's talking about worship. Uh, we live in a, a, a time of uh, more production of quote-unquote worship music. Um, we have more bands traveling, more concerts, more tours, a, 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 a cornucopia, if you will, of worship music being produced. And yet, at the same time, we, we tend to have probably one of the lowest... Uh, recognitions or IQ uh, meters on what does it really look like for biblical worship to take place in the life of a local church. And so we want to look at that tonight. We want to consider that together. We want to make sure that we understand it rightly because if we don't, the danger we run into as we uh, consider worship is worship on a Wednesday or a Sunday inherently becomes more about the people who are worshiping rather than what the biblical prescription is for worship. And it's very important that we always make sure, not just our doctrine and our theology, but even our practice uh, of how we think about uh, what the Bible calls us to do as Christians, how that matters, what's important about that, and ultimately making sure it's rightly uh, governed 
by God's word. And so tonight we're going to look at Colossians chapter 3, uh, verses 15 through 17. And I think there are really three uh, different ways that we need to approach to have a proper view of worship. We begin first and foremost with a right heart. Look at verse 15. Uh, and Paul writes, And let the peace of God rule in your hearts. So he begins by this section on worship by saying, Let the peace of God rule your hearts. You know, in order for us to worship rightly, we have to have a right heart for worship. And I don't think we give a lot of attention to this. Um, we, we give a lot of attention to maybe styles or preferences, and I'm going to repeat that often this evening, but making sure that we have a right heart to worship. Notice what he says. He says, let the peace of God rule in your hearts. Now, the peace of God component is what's going to rule the heart. And what does Paul mean when he says the peace of God? Is, is he re referring to like inner peace? Is there some sort of meditation process that has to happen? Do we need to quiet ourselves before worship takes place? What is he referring to when we hear peace of God? Well, the peace of God that rules our hearts is actually salvation that comes by Christ alone. We, we think back to our conversation going through and our, our studies and sermons through the book of Romans that salvation produces that peace of God that will ultimately rule our heart. You know, when the peace of God takes over our lives, it inherently means that Christ has taken over our lives. We've trusted in Christ alone for the forgiveness of our sins, and he produces a peace, First Thessalonians refers to this as a peace that passes all understanding. So Paul says, if we're going to worship rightly, our hearts have to be right. And a right heart for worship is one that is controlled and compelled by Christ. And how do we know that? Because he says, let the peace of God, that salvation that has come to us, rule our hearts. We think about ruling our hearts. It's this idea that Christ is reigning and ruling in our heart. It's preparing us for worship. And it's getting us ready as we think about what it means to sing songs to God um, as being the governing control and influence of our lives. You know, so much of our worship is focused on what we like. You know, does, is it the style that I prefer? Is it the song that I like? Um, what is taking place here? Are we doing things that I enjoy? And again, we've talked about this before. It's not wrong to, in, to want to enjoy that. But ultimately, we have to be asking ourselves the question of, is this pleasing to Christ? The, so I, I just wrote down. So the question we must ask ourselves is if our worship pleases Christ rather than is the worship um, that's happening something that I'm enjoying? So a lot of times we, we focus on a Sunday morning or a Wednesday night on is this something that I enjoy rather than is this something that pleases Christ? Because ultimately, as we read God's word, what we see is as we're getting ready to worship, Christ must control and compel us as we worship him. He gets to set the parameters. He gets to set the expectations for worship. And so tonight, if you're watching this and you've sung those songs and you're listening to the sermon, there is nothing that you can do to prepare your heart to worship rightly until you've trusted in Christ 
for, to be your savior. There's, there's nothing you can do to prepare your heart if you have not trusted in Christ. I think there are a lot of people who are trying to go through the motions of being a Christian. They'll sing some songs. They're unaffected by them. They'll hear a sermon. They're unaffected by it. They hear a response to that sermon. They're unaffected by that. And the conclusion simply is, well, something's got to change about the sermon, the prayers, or the singing. And I would just simply suggest, if you're unmoved by any and all worship, preaching, praying, singing, then perhaps the problem is not with the ordering of the service or it's not with the songs that are being sung or the sermons that are being preached. It, it may potentially be that you do not have the peace of God ruling your heart. So I would just pause at this point, just ask a couple of good application questions that we would want to consider. Uh, number one, do you have a heart that's been prepared for worship? First and foremost, thinking in terms of are you truly a Christ follower? And then secondly, making sure that we're preparing our hearts as we come to church to hear, to sing, to pray together. Making sure that we're not distracted. And, and then I would ask us this, do you find yourself tempted to complain because the service is not all of what you want rather than focusing on is Christ honored, is Christ exalted in this worship service? If you leave with a temptation to complain about everything because it isn't what you like, then probably it's a good indication that in those moments, the peace of God is not ruling your heart because Christ, if he is ruling and reigning, you know, Roy Fish, a longtime professor at Southwestern, is credited with saying the mark of a mature Christian is that they're easily edified. That it doesn't take much work for you to leave a worship service feeling as though you've been edified, encouraged, strengthened in the Lord, even if that means that all of the songs that were sung, the sermon that was preached, even the response songs, all of that isn't necessarily 100% what you want. Are you still edified by it? A heart that is ruled and reigned by Christ finds edification easy, even in the things that may not be their ultimate preference. So we start there with a, a right heart. A right heart is necessary. It's essential for worship. And then secondly, and this may seem obvious, um, but it's not. we're not trying to sneak anything past you. We're not trying to be funny or cute. But realistically, not only do you need to have a right heart, you need to have the right worship. Look at, pick up the back half of verse 15 and read all the way to the end of 16. He says, to which also you were called in one body and be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with grace in your heart to, to the Lord. Worship must be ordered rightly. And I don't mean this like getting a meal at McDonald's, ordering and getting everything in its right and proper space. What I am saying when worship must be ordered rightly is there must be the right components in worship. We must think carefully about the way we worship because if we're not careful, we become lazy, 
We don't think about what it means to worship the Lord. And so the proper components are necessary for us to worship correctly. Let's walk through these closely. Notice where Paul starts. He says, to which also you are called in one body. Notice the corporate element that's taking place here. Paul writes to the Colossians and says, to which you are also called in one body. There's a corporate feel to worship. There's a corporate necessity to worship. There's a corporate call to worship. You know, these last 15 weeks, we've been trying to do everything and anything and everything to keep us together. But now as the restrictions are starting to be scaled back and we're able to come to the church and worship, you have Christians who are on the outside looking in saying, well, it's more convenient for me to worship at home online. I don't have to get up and get ready and be with people. I can kind of do my own thing at the house. I can walk around. I can clean dishes. I can do other things while the worship service is playing. That is not biblical worship. Worship in the Bible is for a called out body of Christ followers to worship collectively. And as we anticipate being back together next week as a college ministry, a subsection of the greater church that we belong to, we have to ask ourselves, have we or are we going to neglect gathering together? If we're going to worship rightly, that means we're going to collectively gather with other believers to worship the Lord. Now, I know some of you immediately upon hearing this are going to go, but I can worship God in my car. I can worship God. I I listen to podcasts and I I listen to sermons by other more talented preachers. And I I listen to uh, worship songs by better bands. But none of those bands and none of those preachers are responsible for caring for your soul. You go to the hospital, you get sick this week, they're not going to pick up the phone and call you. They're not going to text you. They're not going to check in on you. And we are living in the McChurch age. And college students, and I'm just going to be very straightforward with you. College students fall into this trap all the time. I take a little bit of David Platt, a little bit of Elevation Worship, put it together and I've got my worship service. I got a little bit of Matt Chandler. I got a little bit of uh, Bethel. I got a little bit of this or that. You put it together. You, it's like a KitchenAid mixer. I just put the right ingredients in there and I mix it together and that's worship for me. The only problem with that is it's unbiblical and maybe even wicked. You say, how can you say that? Because the, the New Testament era, even if it had the internet, even if it had the modern conveniences that we did, the concept of not gathering together for worship with other like-minded believers would be a foreign concept. And yet in the 21st century world, we as Christ followers or supposed Christ followers keep looking for excuses for why it's easier to do this alone rather than together. The New Testament idea of worship as doing this by yourself is completely foreign. It's a completely opposite concept. So it's one that is done together. The body comes together to worship. It's one where we're thankful to be able to worship. You know, we've been making our way through that world watch list. And I don't know if you think about it beyond uh, the Wednesday night when it was passed out when we were together or when we've been doing it here. But, you know, we take it for granted that we're going to be able to worship together. We've had, we've been shook to our core on this. 
for, for weeks having to worship sheltered in place. For weeks having to wonder when we would see brothers and sisters in Christ. And yet our brothers and sisters in Christ around the globe are thankful for the few times where they can sneak together and be together even in a small group to worship. And yet, let the air conditioning not be turned on, the sermon run a little bit long, the songs not be what we would like them to be or what we would choose, the, the prayers not be what we expect, the people not treat us the way that we think we should be treated, and suddenly we leave here grumbling, complaining. I wonder, and I know that this will come for me too, I wonder how much we will be judged on uh, when we stand before the Lord for our grumbling and complaining spirits about the things we don't like about church. Beloved, the thankfulness that should exude out of our heart, especially coming out of this season of life, should be off the charts that we're able to gather together in any respect. Whether that's gathering at someone's house to watch this right now, or when we're able to gather together physically next week and worship the Lord together as a ministry, or when we're able to gather this Sunday, this coming Lord's Day, and worship together as a church. We should be thankful people that we have that opportunity. Then Paul turns to the actual uh, what's taking place in our worship in verse 16. He says, Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. Now, we know that the Bible values good biblical preaching. We would say expositional preaching, preaching that models and what the, the point of the sermon is the point of the biblical text that's being covered. But notice what Paul says about worship here in verse 16. He says, Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom, and then he says, teaching and admonishing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. See, right worship is not just worship that leads and prepares for the preaching moment to come, but it's also worship that teaches and admonishes us through psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. In other words, in a variety of singing methods and deliveries, the New Testament exhorts Christians that they will be educated as they worship. Al Mohler famously said one time, actually at a conference where he was speaking to college students a few years ago, actually I think it was a decade ago now, he said, I don't have to listen necessarily to the preaching, I don't have to, to um, look at your statement of faith to know what you believe, I don't even really have to listen to your prayers to know what you believe. If I'm able to sit and listen to what you sing, I can deduce pretty quickly what you believe as a church. Beloved, that means we have to be guarded in what we sing. We have to be guarded in, in how we approach uh, worship. Because what we sing matters. What we worship to matters. The lyrics, the words, the phrases matter. Not just the tune. We were traveling and uh, I don't even know that I should share this, but I'm going to anyway. It's our last week of doing this. We were traveling this weekend uh, we found a funny video that was being seriously recorded, but it was being shared by a funny uh, Twitter account where someone was trying to make the argument that the style in which the music was sung according to a certain beat and rhythm made it inher inherently godly or inherently sinful. And I just remember sitting there thinking, as I knew I would be preaching this sermon, going, 
I guess maybe in some weird sort of kind of way, maybe that might matter. But the more important thing is, how are we admonishing one another and what we're singing? Beats matter, I'm sure, at some level, but words are inherently more important. And most people don't give two thoughts to what they're singing in church. And I'm just telling you, as a college ministry, we have, we have worked at this. We have sung songs. We have talked about songs. We've talked about it with a band. Jimmy and Jacob and I have talked about it. We've considered whether or not we would sing. And sometimes we don't get this right. I can distinctly remember um, we were working on a new song. Not we as in me. I don't <laughs> It would be bad if I'm working on the song. But we were collectively thinking about songs. A song was chosen. We came for that particular Wednesday night and sang that song. And at the end of the service, I was talking with our leaders, Jimmy and Jacob, and just we came to the conclusion, yeah, we're not going to sing that together in corporate worship. It probably is not a bad song to sing in your car, but as far as leading people in worship collectively as a ministry, no dice. So you're not going to get it perfectly every time, but the point of the passage, right? The point of the passage, the point of what Paul is saying, he says, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom, Teaching and admonishing one another. There's a teaching component that takes place every time we sing a song. And what Paul says is there's a variety that can happen with this. He says, psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. Psalms, referring actually to the Old Testament psalms, those, some of those psalms we sing. Some of them we sing together. I would encourage you, if you're interested in what does it look like to sing the psalms, Shane and Shane has released multiple albums where they're just singing psalms. Now, he continues and thinks hymns. Now, we think of old, stodgy, upright piano, Baptist hymnal hymns. That's not what Paul has in mind here when he says hymns. They're hymns that are focused on singing about God and Christ. So, hymns aren't necessarily defined according in, in the scripture to what modern Western society would determine a hymn is. But it's not bad to sing hymns. And then he sing, says spiritual songs. Now these were probably spontaneous worship uh, arrangements that were singing about the greatness of Christ. And we get a little bit nervous when we start thinking about spontaneous worship. We gotta be careful. We want our worship to be rightly ordered but the, the, the idea of lyrically putting together uh, different ways of singing praises to, to Christ and God is what's ideally being targeted here in spiritual songs. And so a, a wide variety can be sung and we can exude and, and, and exalt Christ through a wide variety. And that's not a bad thing. In fact, someone famously said variety is the spice of life. And I think Christians above all should have a great variety of worship that they sing because there shouldn't be a limit on what we do to exalt and exalt God. But a lot of times we're like, I like these five songs. Let's just sing these five songs. Beloved, work your repertoire. Find new worship to sing. Make sure it is speaking rightly about who God is and who Christ is. And it's, it's biblically accurate. But let's not get closed into a box where, oh man, I can't believe we have to sing this style of music or that style of music. Again, right heart produces right worship. 
So if my heart is ruled by Christ and this song exalts Christ and I'm a mature Christian who's easily edified, I can sing just about anything stylistically that will bring honor and glory to God. So I would ask us here, I would just want to pause and say, how exactly are you doing at elevating your motivation for worshiping together in the church, right? Protect that corporate nature of the church. You know, next we got a perfect opportunity to model this, to come together corporately as a ministry and do that. But even before that, we have this coming Lord's Day where we have the opportunity to do that together. And then, are you valuing corporate worship rightly? There's a million and a half reasons why you can't be a church on Sunday. Even before COVID. And even after COVID. You can make excuses all day long. And so can I. But Christians in the New Testament, and Christians throughout the last 2,000 years, have made it a point every Lord's Day to gather together for worship. And so should we. As people who genuinely value what Christ has done for us, we should gather together to edify the saints by worshiping the Lord together. Do you understand that you're helping other people grow through your worship? There's nothing that I enjoy more. It's been fun to travel with people uh, to different conferences, and I've enjoyed the sermons that have been preached but there's nothing that encourages my heart more than to travel with some of my friends to a conference and hear them sing their absolute guts out to Christ. But I enjoy even more so listening to you, our students, to our church. Sometimes I just stop singing and listen because it's so encouraging to hear other voices singing and praising to God. And if you're not there, I miss out on that. And if I'm not there, you miss out on hearing me raising our voices collectively, because guess what? Nobody wants to hear me sing a solo. So when our voices blend together as we make a joyful noise to the Lord, some of you that sing a lot better than me, drown me out and make me sound a whole lot better. But if you're not there collectively and corporately, that can't happen. So, we see first, right, we go back, a right heart, then the right and proper worship, and then finally the right motivation. Look at verse 17. He says this, Whatever you do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Our motivation for right worship, our motivation for caring about worship at all, should be making much of God, should be making much of him, should be exalting and proclaiming his name. That makes it easy to not care about what we're doing. Makes it easy to, to not care. We just sang four hymns in a row or sang whatever in a row or whatever we're doing. So I'm not concerned about my likes. I'm concerned about does, is, are my motivations spurred on by making much of Christ? So that might mean that we have to change the way that we approach worship. Might mean that we have to change the way that we think about worship. It might mean, and I know this is gonna be crazy, it might mean that you get to your seat a little bit early on a Sunday. You sit down in your seat and you make sure that your heart is ready to worship. You're praying. You're saying, Lord, prepare me to worship you, not just through the songs that will be sung or the prayers that will be prayed, but through the preaching, all of it, every component of it, that my heart would be prepared and I would have the right motivation, not making much of me, but making much of you. And you just begin to pray for yourself. And then, 
And I think this would help immensely the way we view other people and even their ability to worship. Taking a moment and praying for the people who will pray, for the people who will lead us in worship, and for the pastor as he prepares to preach. That they would not feel any temptation in and of themselves to make much of them, but to make much of Christ. Can you imagine what it would do for the life of our local church if our praise and worship team knew that every Lord's Day there were going to be a section of people who are praying that they would overcome any temptation to make leading the congregation in worship about them, but to make it all about Christ? Can you imagine how that would embolden them? Can you imagine what that would do to our own band and our college ministry if we were praying Lord, help them to not make much of themselves, but to make much of you. Can you imagine what it would do to our pastors to know that that we're praying for them, that they would make much of the biblical text, that they would point us to Christ and not point them to themselves? I, I can't even begin to tell you what that would do in my heart to know that our college students were praying that right before we started. Because that takes the pressure off. Because our motivation then is not about being entertained. Our motivation is not about sing songs that I like, preach sermons that I like, entertain me, please me. But is this going to please Christ? Is this going to please God? Do you have the right motivation as you prepare for worship? Are you praying those things? Man, this week, as you get ready for another Lord's Day and another Wednesday night, I would just challenge you, pray for the people who will lead you to worship that they would have the right motivation, but also pray for yourself that you would have the right motivation. You know, worship is a really hot-button topic in our society, especially in churches. We, We love to think of and talk about and argue about worship styles and preferences. I think a lot of that time is wasted because ultimately we can have the debate all day long about what the best style is or what the best tone is or what the best temperament is for worship but if our hearts are not prepared if our hearts are not ruled by christ if our motivation is not to make much of god to make much of christ through our worship if our motivation isn't to teach and admonish each other to train people through the songs that we'll sing then we can have those debates all day long it won't matter because at the end of the day what is most important about our worship is Does it please God, and is it done in accordance with the Scriptures? Let's pray together. Father, we love you, and we're thankful for the opportunity we've had to consider your word. Uh, We do ask and pray that you would help us to be uh, mindful of the way that we worship and think about what it means to worship you well. Thank you that we're going to be able to come back and worship you together as a college ministry, but even more so, thank you that this coming Lord's Day we'll be able to gather as a church once again. It's in your son's name we pray. Amen.